Welcome to Mind Matters News. Uh, this is Mike Egner. I have the privilege of interviewing uh, Arjuna Gallagher. Arjuna Gallagher uh, is a Hindu. Uh, he is from New Zealand. Uh, he has a wonderful YouTube channel called Theology Unleashed and has um, uh, done a, a, a fascinating documentary in, entitled The Persecuted Saints That You've Never Heard Of. And I recommend uh, both his channel and his, doc his documentary. They're, they're great. Uh, welcome back, Arjuna. Great to be here. Thank you. So uh, in in this session, I, I, we we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, creation and the universe, uh, and uh, how do Hindus understand uh, all of creation? Uh, is the universe eternal? Was it created uh, at a moment in the past? Yeah. So one unique and defining feature of Hinduism is is definitely the idea of eternity with cyclical creation and destruction. Uh, I mentioned that in, her, in an earlier segment. With regard to the the Big Bang, uh, so there's this idea explanation of how creation happens, which you find in the Bhagavatam, and it's it's pretty intricate. You have Mahavishnu, who's a form of God, lying down on the causal ocean and exhaling and inhaling, and with every exhale, all of the universes come out of his body, and with every inhale, they all pour, come back into all of the pores of his body, and uh, these are correlated with the creations and destructions of the material universe. So this would be something like all the way back to the Big Bang and then all the way up to the Big Crunch if we were to uh, make the assumption that what science is looking at when it steers into space and when they hypothesize about the Big Bang and the expanding universe that maybe it's all going to contract again into a Big Crunch. Uh, if we were to make the assumption that that's talking about what the Bhagavatam is talking about, then those would map onto one another. And then you get further creation from that. It's, it, it gets quite fantastic from there. Uh, there's a Lord Brahma governing I don't know how much I should get into the explanation of how the cosmos exists. Yeah, are these taken generally to be metaphorical, or 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 is is there a belief that these are uh, substantially real? These uh, these explanations. Yeah, there's there's a belief that this is actually how things are going on. And if someone wanted to say this is too fantastic, I can't believe you actually believe this, then my reply would be, um, there's actually only one fantastic claim, which is the existence of God. Once you've assumed that God exists, you have a being full of the potencies that are capable of producing all of this. That the real fantastic worldview is atheism, where every step is a miracle. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, I, I, I certainly, I'm, I don't ascribe to uh, to, uh, to Hindu theology. I'm a pretty sort of main, mainstream Catholic, but um, the the really crazy stuff is atheism. Um, I, I don't think any theist is is really crazy. Meaning that you know, just the existence of anything in itself is a miracle, is a remarkable, astonishing thing. I'm open to all kinds of ideas, except the idea that there is no God, which which I think is crazy. Uh, so um, there's been a lot of um, uh, obviously advances in cosmology and in basic physics over the past century. Uh, particularly, for example, in quantum mechanics and general relativity. Is there anything in Hindu theology that reflects on, on those advances or, or relates to them? As an example, um, Werner Heisenberg, who's a, a physicist who was very important in the development of quantum mechanics, commented that the phenomenon in quantum mechanics of uh, collapse of the quantum waveform, that is that quantum systems exist in um, uh, multiple states of potentiality and with measurement or observation, 
coalesce into a single actuality. Uh, really, is a is, is a is a reflection of uh, Aristotle's uh, understanding of change, of potency and act, uh, and uh, that that Aristotelian metaphysical perspective uh, was embraced by Thomas Aquinas. So it's it's really kind of part of the Catholic or Christian way of looking at metaphysics. And um, uh, is there anything that 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 you can think of in modern physics that has a parallel in uh, in Hindu metaphysics or uh, Hindu theology. Yeah, the best person to have on for this discussion would be Akundadi. I'll, I'll see if he can come on your podcast sometime because he's really good at this kind of thing. Oh, sure. Because uh, I, I look at this kind of stuff, but I'm not always looking back to the tradition to see where it's found there. Like, as regard to quantum physics, my favorite explanation of that is that it's like the the pixels in a video game don't render until you actually move the screen there, or maybe it renders a little bit ahead of time so that it can predict where you're going to move and not have any lag. So similarly with quantum physics, if you're not looking at the particle, it hasn't selected a state. This, this is done in computer processing and, and video games to save on computational power. And perhaps something similar goes on with the universe. Uh, of course, we would put the observer in every living entity, not just in humans. Um, so that changes things somewhat. But I guess some living entities aren't actually affected by the change in state of certain quantum functions. So the wave state might not change until a human looks at it in many cases. I'm not sure where, where you'd find that in the metaphysics of the tradition. I mean, we have this idea of the material energy that that God is the largest and the smallest. So he's both containing the universe and inside of every atom in the universe. So, and everything's going on by the Sanskrit word Shakti, by, by God's powers and energies. So with that, miracles and all sorts of things are possible. But with that, uh, matter is also, sure, that's it's, something physical following physical laws. But um, I've heard people argue that simulation hypothesis is supported by the Vaishnava worldview. I'm not sure exactly what quotes they base it on, though, but it, it does seem to make sense because the idea here is that the material universe is meant to deliver sensory experiences to living entities in order to have effects on their consciousness, which ultimately bring them back to God and help them overcome their selfish desires and so on. So if you, th- if you see the universe as meant for that purpose, then matter could be explained as rather than being something out there that exists independently of anything else, it's, it's like an algorithm that governs the deliverance of experiences to living entities. So it, it, it sounds like it's kind of an idealism of sorts. Um, what really exists is mental and that the, the physical is just a state of mind. Yeah, I used to think that idealism meant that things only exist in minds, but after studying it a little bit more, I think that it, it could be compatible with the Vedic, Vedic worldview. I mean, the view I had of idealism was that it's, you know, if that was the view, I guess it would be patently absurd because there has to be something out there that we're all both interacting with because uh, we have a shared experience of reality. So there's got to be something out there. Uh, I guess idealism is just saying that the foundation of what's out there is in the mind of God or something of that sort. Yeah, the um, I, I was always fascinated by the consilience of Plato's view of forms, that there's a realm in which sort of the, the ideal representations uh, of things or the, the ideal, act, I'm sorry, the, that what, what, what we're seeing are representations of an ideal actuality that exists in a separate world. And um, uh, St. Augustine uh, said that that separate world was God's mind that reality is essentially a thought in God's mind. 
uh, and then we are thoughts in God's mind. And I, just, I just thought that was a fast, fascinating way to look at it. But of course, being, uh, being a Thomist, uh, my commentary on that would be, it may very well be that reality is a thought in God's mind, but that God is a Thomist. So that's, that explains why Thomism worked, worked so well. Um, so um, Right. That does relate to the, the Herod Krishna view, which is um, that there's the original pure spiritual reality, which has everything you find here, but in a pure state, whereas in the material world where we are, it's the perverted reflection. So any kind of form or pleasure or anything you might chase or experience here is a perverted reflection of something that exists in a pure state in the spiritual world. That That, that seems to be a perspective that a, a, a lot of religious faiths have. There, there's a very much a, an aspect of that in Christianity, that there's a, a kind of an, uh, an ultimate perfection, which is God, and that um, his creation is, um, uh, is a limited version of that ultimate perfection. From your own perspective, Arjuna, uh, or from the perspective of the Hindu faith, uh, what do you think about the intelligent design movement in science uh, in the Western world? I, I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Discovery Institute and you know work like Michael Behe and Stephen Meyer and, and your own work on arguments for, from the brain for consciousness not being caused by the brain. This idea that 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 Prabhupada, who's the founder of the Hare Krishna movement in the West, gave an argument which uh, a philosopher called Joe Schmidt told me we could call a construction argument. Uh, so a construction argument that Prabhupada used is that the creator has to have all the qualities of the creation. So the creation can't have any qualities that aren't found in the creator. So, you know, an analogy for this would be that you know, the production of a table requires various ingredients. You need to have the, the builder needs to have more knowledge than is required to build a chair. Not, not the, you can't build a chair or a table having only the amount required to build the chair. You need to have more knowledge. You need to have more wood because there'll be wasted wood. You need to have a certain amount of tools. And without all those things, you can't build the chair. So I guess this is like the argument from uh, sufficient reason. Mm-hmm. So this, is a, this was an argument used in the tradition to argue for personal God because I have personal qualities. I have a name. I have a form and so on. Therefore, God must also have a name and a form and so on. And this, he also used this argument against atheists that, you know, we've got all this material world with all these creatures in it and it it has to come from a source. Prabhupada also used an arg- argument. He called it "life comes from life." Uh, you, you know, these these rascal scientists. Prabhupada would use words like that. He'd, he'd spe- speak in, in quite like name calling ways to so- the rascal scientists who are de- deluding the public. Not not it's not an anti science thing. Obviously, if scientists are building bridges and saving lives and all that sort of stuff, that's awesome. But when they want to s- tell us things like matter explains life, then that, that's nonsense. And he would, he would challenge them, you know, you know, go in your lab and put some chemicals together and produce life. Uh, and then you can come and tell me that, li- that life comes from matter. Yeah, it, it, se- it seems to me that the, the, the better science gets, the more it seems to resemble engineering. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of engineering. I like houses that stay up and bridges that stay up and thing, things like that. Um, a lot of the theoretical science is absolutely fascinating stuff. But the um, metaphysical claims made by quite a few scientists, the materialist or atheist claims, I think are badly misguided. Yeah, this this reductionist worldview is really good at a lot of things. Like if you get smashed up on the motorway, they're really good at putting you back together because musculoskeletal stuff is really mechanical. Uh, and the engineering principles, reductionism works well for that kind of thing. But they really fail at, at looking at the bigger picture. Like my wife's a trained naturopath and 
Uh, we also have a naturopath we go and see. And there's so many things that can go wrong with the body. You go to a doctor and they'd be like, the tests come back fine. And you're like, okay. And then you do some research, go to a naturopath, and they'll they'll look into this whole bigger picture of how one thing is causing another thing and look at the organism as a whole. And somehow that gets missed by this reductionist picture. Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, reductionism, which so often uh, accompanies materialism, uh, is a really impoverished way of way of looking at things. Uh, it, it's, it's not even internally consistent. Well, thank you, Arjuna, for joining us in this session. Uh, we will have another session uh, where we'll talk about contemporary issues uh, in our culture and in science. And it's been my privilege to have Arjuna Gallagher uh, with us. And please join us for our next session. And this is Mike Egner from Mind Matters News. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.